Chapter 10, Revelation, let's read through. And I saw another mighty uh, angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was, as it were, the sun, his feet, as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets." And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me, saying again, and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the land. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book, please. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall be to thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it in my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So uh, I'm glad we have a change here in this chapter Things are coming down instead of coming up. Uh, In the last chapter, twice, things were coming up from underneath, from the abuso and all. Now we've got an angel coming down, which is, we're glad for a break here. Um, Interesting picture, as you read through the chapter, every verse begins with an and, a conjunction, and this, and that, except verse 7 begins with a but, but that's a conjunction as well. The idea is it gives us a sense that this is moving. There's motion here. It's going. You know, we're we're to see the movement in this. It's remarkable. This is the beginning of one of the parentheses in the book of Revelation. You have these, you know, kind of back up and take a look at what's going on. We see the, the first, the seven seals. Six of them are opened. Then there's a parentheses. And we are able to step back and see all the people saved and the 144,000 in chapter 7 and so forth. Then we get to chapter 8, and the seventh seal is broken. Within the seventh seal are the seven trumpets. So we see six of them sound, and then between the sixth and the seventh, we back up and have a long parenthesis. And this is the longer one from its chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. When we get to the vials, which are in the seventh trumpet, and they're poured out, it's God's wrath that just moves forward. Some scholars say there's still a break between 
the sixth vial and the seventh, which would be one verse. Some say, no, it just pours out because at that point there's no, there, there is no other thing to stop and to look at. You guys with me? It's just, you know, because there's a sequential thing here that helps us. It's hard to be dogmatic. Even amongst the seals, there's four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then there's three, and the last three are separated, two and one. And then amongst the trumpets, there's four, and then there's the last three that are separated, and there's two and one there. And then the same thing when you get to the bowls, actually there's four that set aside themselves from the last three and so forth. So all of this is a seal. You can't have trumpets on the, on the fifth seal. You can only do that on the seventh seal. And you can't have bowls poured out on the fourth trumpet or the third trumpet. It has to be the seventh trumpet. So however we look at this, it's sequential. There's a sequence of things going on that cover a period of time. Uh, as we come to this chapter, John kind of inserts himself in some interesting ways. Uh, in verse 4, he said, I was about to write. He says, I heard. Verse 5, he says, I saw. Uh, again, verse 8, I heard. In verse 9, I went, um, and then I said, and then I took. In verse 10, then I ate when I had eaten. You know, So interesting, he's participating in this scene in an interesting way that we hadn't really seen him participate before. It begins with a mighty angel, and uh, this picture's brought before us as we look at this it says and i saw aden i perceived i understood there is this another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed perfect tense having been clothed with a cloud and a rainbow the rainbow literally was upon his head and then his, so, so he comes down, there's a cloud, there's a rainbow, and then it says his face was as. It doesn't say his face was the sun. It was like the sun shining in its strength. His feet were as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand, and the idea is it had been there, a little book. It's literally a scroll. It's a little scroll having been opened. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. So we're going to, as we go through this chapter, you have this personage, this angel. Who is that? It's a question we have to ask. Then you have an oath he makes. Um, relative to no more delay. Things are going to move forward. We have seven thunders. We're not told what they are. Then we have John the Apostle eating the word of God, as it were, and told in the last verse, your ministry is not over, but you may be 90, but you got more to do, which is a great exhortation for all of us. So we have this first personage comes down from heaven, clothed in a cloud, rainbow around his head, eyes like a flame of fire, feet like burnished, his legs like, you know, brass burning, his voice like a lion roaring, in his hand this little scroll. And the question is, there's two opinions, is this actually Jesus Christ, or is this, as it says, a mighty angel? 
Now, there are things that make it look like the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm not, I'll change my mind maybe if the Lord tarries by the next time I teach it. So I'm, I'm not saying I know. I'm telling you your, your options here. Jesus Christ in the first chapter, his face is shining like the sun. Um, his, it doesn't mention him being clothed with a cloud. Uh, but he, there's a voice as we go through the scripture of the Lord, which is like a lion roaring. We're going to see that with him. Um, very interesting, over in chapter 11, it says that I will send my two witnesses, and it's the angel speaking. Now, those two witnesses are the Lord's witness. So you look at this and think, well, this very much, it could be Jesus Christ. To me, the things that forbid that are these. He begins, begins by saying, I saw, and the idea is I perceived, another mighty angel. The word another there is Alon, and it's another of the same kind. We meet a mighty angel in chapter 5. When we get to chapter 18, it's going to tell us this. And after these things, I saw another, that's Alon, angel come down from heaven, having great power. He's also mighty. And the earth was lighted with his glory. But that's another angel there. So there's nowhere in the New Testament Jesus is compared to an angel or depicted as an angel, certainly nowhere in Revelation. This angel, whoever he is, is going to raise his hand and make an oath by the God that created heaven and earth and the things that are in there and so forth. Um, it tells us in Hebrews, when God swears, he swears by himself because he can swear by none greater. This personage swears by the God of heaven who is the creator. And there's a voice speaking from heaven. The creator we know is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, all things were made by him. Nothing was made without him that was made and so forth. So it would seem to me that Jesus is not another angel of the same kind of the other angels we see, that Jesus is never depicted that way, that if this one is raising his hand and swearing by a greater power, that certainly then it isn't Jesus. Jesus would be the voice coming down from above. So in 2021, my opinion is that this is an angel, a mighty angel. You can have your own opinion. We will find out when the trumpet blows. So he's clothed, having been clothed with this cloud, maybe the Shekinah. His face was as it were the sun, his feet were as pillars of fire. And he has in his hand now a little scroll open. It's in his hand. It differs from the scroll in chapter 5, which seems to be a larger scroll sealed with seven seals. And it tells us there that that scroll is laying on the palm of the one who sits on the throne in his right hand. He's not grasping it. It's laying on his palm. This one says that it's in the hand of, and it would seem to be his left hand because he would raise his right hand to make an oath, and this little scroll is, is laying open. It's not sealed. It's not, so it seems to be something different. And we're going to look at that. And he had his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. We're told that three times, by the way, through this chapter. So if his right foot is on the sea and his left foot is on the earth, 
Um, he seems like he's facing south because if his right foot's in the Mediterranean and his left foot's on the mainland, he's facing south. Um, if his right foot is on, his right foot is in the sea and his left foot is on the land and he's talking about Patmos, he could be facing north. These are just things that you need to think about when you read through something like this. So he's facing north or south, it seems, this angel. And it says, and he cried with a loud voice, means very loud, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, whatever he pronounced, whatever he cried, it says, seven thunders utter their voices. Now look, in verse 3, it literally says, the seven thunders, a definite article. And then it writes it out in verse 4, and when the seven thunders. So whatever these seven thunders are, they're not like other thunders in the scripture. Chapter 12, God the Father speaks to his son Jesus, and it says it sounds like thunder. The, the people that were there thought it was thundering. We read in the Psalms that his voice is like thunder. Here is specifically the seven thunders. Evidently, heaven knows what that is. There's a definite article both times. So these are a very specific set of thunders. We know, we know that much. So when this angel cries aloud, the seven thunders utter their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, these thunders have voices look what john says i was about to write that's because in the beginning of the book the lord told him write that which thou hast seen that which is and that which will be after these things and now he's going to be told so he's, he's been writing all along that's how we got to chapter 10 i was about to write and i heard a voice notice from heaven saying to me seal up those things which the seven thunders, notice this, uttered. That's why he was going to write, because he understood what they said. Write them not. Now, really interesting to read through all the scholarship this week. How many of them were determined to try to help me know what the seven thunders were? That isn't what the seven thunders were. <laughs> and, you know, look, and... God says we're not to know what the seven... Isn't it interesting that's what we want to know? What were the seven thunders? One person knew. There's one person who heard them. John. And he took it to the grave. He didn't tell anybody. You know that when he got back to Asia Minor and he delivered the, the book of Revelation to the seven churches, the question he got everywhere was, what did the seven thunders say? And he said, no, no, I didn't tell you. Read the chapter. And then they probably said, well, it said don't write them. It didn't say didn't tell. You know, just tell me. I won't tell anybody. That's how, that's how rumors spread through the church. All your secrets you tell to one person at a time. Uh, you know, so, no, we're not supposed to know. And isn't it funny that, like, I want to know what the seven thunders are. That's part of our fallen nature. Again, you, you look at Adam in Eden before the fall. And you look at Eden and you see the, the, the description of its beauty and its breadth. You know, we find uh, fossils of asparagus ferns 50 foot tall. You know, grapes must have been this big. Imagine how wonderful that would be. 
to put out one grape for company Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> put one grape out for dessert. You know, because we all had little kids who decided they need their grapes peeled. And then you're like, it's like purgatory, peeling grapes, you know. It would be great to have one big grape and take an ice cream scooper and just scoop out some grape for you. Here, be quiet, kid, you know. But just what was Eden like in its breath and its beauty and the aromas. There's floral therapies today that psychologists use. What was it like? And God said, of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat. And Adam said, where's that one? Where's that one? He wanted to know what the seven thunders are. You know, all of this is yours. But yeah, but where's the one that's not mine? That's the one I want to, you know. And that's the way our nature is, isn't it? I can't tell you. What do you mean you can't tell me? You tell me everything. Why can't you tell me? You know, so, so here, these seven thunders, whatever they are, John hears them, understands them, and is going to write what they said. And a voice from heaven speaks to him and says, John, seal those things up. Don't write them down. It's interesting because in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, God says to Daniel, seal up the things here that you're hearing because they're not going to become evident till the last days. Seal them up. The revelation of Jesus Christ means the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So it's counterintuitive to the book. The, the point is with the unveiling, everything's made plain to see. In chapter 22, as John is writing, there the Lord says, seal not up these particular things. But here in the whole book, for the whole history of the church, and as soon as you get raptured, you'll know, there's these seven voices that we're not to hear. Now, I'm assuming that's good for us. You know? Not to know. My problem in, with the Bible is never with what I don't know. It's always with what I do know. The Bible tells me what kind of husband I'm supposed to be. That's a problem. It tells you guys what kind of wives you're supposed to be. That's a problem. He, he tells me what I'm supposed to do when somebody insults me and turn the other cheek. That's a problem. Right? Tells me I'm supposed to go the extra mile. Tells me how to love the unlovable. You know, my problem with the Bible is never what I don't know. My problem with the Bible is what I do know. Charles Swindoll said we, we don't lack for knowing. We lack for doing but we always want to know that other thing that we ain't got nailed down, you know? Somehow, I think there's a whole long list of things we have no idea about that we're going to encounter in heaven that's going to blow our regenerated minds, you know? Where there's, imagine what the Lord has in store for us that he hasn't described that resonate in our heart. We have, there's a blessed hope that we look forward to. Hear these seven utterances, seven thunders, they're sealed for God's good reason, for our health, for some reason. And he says, seal them, don't write them. And the angel, this mighty angel which I saw, stand upon the sea and upon the earth. He lifted up his hand to heaven, he's making an oath, and swear, notice, by him that liveth forever and forever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, 
that there should be time no longer. So he, all of that description of all this scene, and then he's swearing before the Creator. And here's what he swears. The oath is, time shall be no longer. That's the oath. Now, it's not speaking about this. The word chronos, time, which can be interpreted that way, but always the context is always what interprets. The idea here is there shall be no longer a delay. Because the next verse says, in the days, plural, of the seventh angel. So there's no more delay. There's going to be days. Things are going to begin to roll without delay at this point. That's the idea. We know it's not the end of time because we have a thousand-year reign of Christ to still to go through. We have, you know, as we get to eternity, there's a transition, you know, that we don't understand from time to what eternal is. But here, there's no more delay. Look, you think of, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden. God clothes them, told, you know, Eve, I'm putting enmity between your seed and the seed of the serpent, but... You know, someday your seed is going to crush his head. And Adam and Eve, in their failing and their, their sin, cast out of the garden, looked forward to something. As they taught Abel to sacrifice, it was sacrificed better than, than his brothers. It was looking forward to something. As we go through Abraham, he saw it through thy seed. And Paul says, singular in Galatians, Christ, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. You think what Abraham saw when he took Isaac up on Mount Moriah, and uh, it was told him there, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. You think of the prophecies of Jacob on his deathbed. You think of Moses and the things that were brought before him on the Passover night. You think of David and the things that he saw, you know, that the Lord revealed to him, and the prophets and so forth. You go through all that. You think of John the Baptist, you know, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You think of Anna and Simeon when Jesus is brought to be dedicated, 40 days old. You think of, you know, all of those things through the New Testament. Lord, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts chapter 1. You know, all that they look forward to, finally now it's said, he, he raises his hand and he makes an oath, there shall be no more delay. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, ain't going to be delayed anymore. Okay? The establishing of one throne in heaven and earth, our Father, our brother, our King, our Lord, no more delay, it's going to happen. All the things that the righteous have longed for and the prophets through the ages. And he says that here. You know, it's finally moving into motion to be consummated. Now, is that something to do with the seven trumpets, the seven, the seven thunders? I don't know that. I told you already I don't know. Listen to me next time. So, there shall be no more delay, it says. But in the days plural of the voice of the seventh angel. Now, this is not the mighty angel. This is the angel with the trumpet, the seventh trumpet. In the days plural of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. This thing that everybody, you know, what is the mystery of God? Is it, you know, is part of that, again, like Asaph in Psalm 73, we know you're good. Why do the wicked prosper? Why is all this going on? There's a mystery in all of that to us. We look around what's going on in the world. Look, 
You and I today, if we take a stand for Jesus, you're going to take heat for it. You're just going to take heat. We might end up in jail. Canada are locking up, you know, pastors. They broke into a home fellowship, a, 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 a prayer meeting, somebody's home. Took away the husband and the wife and the little kids and put them in jail. And released the wife and the kids the next day. Kept the husband in jail for 15 days. That's Canada. They're 10 years to the left of us. That kind of hostility is coming here. You believe in morality. You believe Jesus is coming. You believe he's the only way. You believe in right and wrong. You believe any of that stuff. You're going to take heat. Right? And the world doesn't want to hear about it. That's why the world is going to receive the Antichrist. Anti means instead of. They're going to receive the instead of Christ because he's going to put money in their pocket and food on their table and promise them peace. That's what they're looking for. Handout. They don't want Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. They don't want to admit that what they're doing is wrong. They need sin. So there's a great hostility, and there has been through history. And God finally, look, in the end of the last chapter, over half the population of the world is dead by this point in time. And he said they didn't repent of their idolatry. They worshipped, you know, idols, and, and they worshipped demons. They worshipped gods of, of gold and silver and stone and wood. And it says neither would they repent, you know, of their murders and their sorceries and their thefts. Uh, and and you, you go through those things there. After such powerful demonstrations, they're still refusing to repent. So chapter 13, the Antichrist is going to come to power and so forth. It says here, but in the days of the seventh trumpet, when he begins to sound, the mystery of God then is finally going to come to a completion. It's all going to be wrapped up. Sounds, does that sound good to you? No, no. What sounds good to you is I'm coming like a thief in the night. In an hour you don't suspect. I'm going to descend with the voice of, the, with the shout, the voice of the archangel and trump of God, okay? That's what sounds good to us. This sounds really good to the people that are still walking on the ball of dirt when this is going on. But what sounds good to us is his promise to come for us. But, of course, this sounds good to us as well. He says, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God, and is the seven thunders part of that mystery? The mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared is evangelizing. It's not Caruso to proclaim it's to speak the good news. Very interesting. It says that the mystery of God should be finished as he hath spoken the evangel to his servants, the prophets. You know, chapter 19 is going to tell us the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's behind every prophet who raised their voice whether he was speaking about Israel or Jerusalem, it was all connected to a Messiah that was coming in another kingdom, ultimately. And it's, it's really interesting here because it says his prophets, there's an emphasis, there's an emphatic part of that in the Greek, and it says that he's spoken the evangel through his own prophets. There's a, there's a visceral part of it. There's great feeling there. They were his own. Isaiah was his. and Abraham was his. Abel was his, it says, who prophesied. Jeremiah, John the Baptist. You and I, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He says here, they were my 
own prophets. They were mine. And I spoke the good news through them. And finally, it's all going to be realized. It's all going to come to the fore. Verse 8 says this, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go. When a voice from heaven speaks to you and says, Go, I think you should go. Okay? Just everybody get that at least from the study this morning. The voice from heaven spake unto me again, saying, Go and take the little scroll. Now, go and take are both imperatives. One is present, one is eritus. You must go and you must take once and for all this little scroll which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. So he says, so I went unto the angel and I said unto him, give me that little book. No, he didn't say that. It kind of looks like that. You know, it's it's in the sense, the Greek, of a request. He He sought him. He made request and he said, again, you know, please give me. That little scroll. And this angel, he said unto me, look, you must, imperatives again, present, both of them, you must take it and continually have it. You must take it and continually eat it. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand, the little scroll, and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Now John, good Jewish boy, understood these things as he read through it. Because we have a number of different places where these kinds of things uh, are spoken to us. Um... Let me go to some of these. It says in Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Psalm 119 says, How sweet are thy words to my taste, yea, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. Ezekiel says this. He says, um, But thou son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that which I give thee. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a scroll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was, and there was written therein lamentations, mourning, and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that which thou findest, eat this scroll, and go speak unto the house of Israel." So I opened my mouth, he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels, the, the deepest part of us, with this scroll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey 
for sweetness. So this is a picture, Deuteronomy gives it to us in one place, through the Old Testament, of taking the Word of God in, a, in challenging circumstances that are very difficult, that the prophets were surrounded with, you and I are surrounded, and it says that Word of God, you know, it's, it's a bittersweet thing. It's, it's bitter in the sense that what he's seeing here is all the judgment that's going to come on the world. It's sweet because in that context is also our destiny and our Savior coming for us. It's bittersweet. I mean, we look forward to standing in glory, being with the Lord, but we feel terrible for unsafe friends and relatives. It's bittersweet in that the Word of God can be bitter to our flesh. And I'm glad of that, by the way. Sweet to our taste, but it can challenge us about our morality and our attitude and our carnality. You know, it, it was sweet to the taste, but then it was bitter in my belly, he said, when I ate that. And I think it's important for us to realize that as we look around. You know, a woman in travail, that's part of the picture. You know, the, the going through the delivery is bitter, but the birth is sweet. There are things that are bittersweet. And he says, that's the story here. Look, for you and I, in the last days that we're living right now, the word of God is sweet to the taste and it's bitter to the flesh. That's just the way it is. It's been that way forever. It's not going to change. You stand up for Jesus Christ right now, it's going to cost you. You may be singled out by somebody at work. You may have somebody threaten you. You may have people in your family want to run you off. You may have a lawsuit. You may have all kinds of things. If you tell people the truth about the love of Jesus Christ, you're going to find yourself in hot water. And our culture is, you know, it's moving with the tide in that direction. There's an undertow. You know, it's being pulled that way. But the Lord wants you and I to speak the truth to this generation. We're the, we're the last generation, I believe, they're going to hear of Christ's love from, from you and I. And it's bittersweet because you may take some heat for, for that, but you know it's truth. Look, look what he says to John in verse 11. He says, And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again, before is the idea of about or concerning many people and nations and tongues and kings. He says, John, you're not done. Yeah, I know you're 90 years old. Any 90-year-olds here? Somebody help them raise their hand. <laughs> over, over there, 90-year-old, Okay. And here's the deal. Your ministry's not over. <laughs> Says it here. Says it here. I'm not done with you. You yet are going to speak to nations. So, you know, so we have an over 50 fellowship on Monday night. I've never been to it because I'm in denial. But uh, we, have, we, we have an over 50 fellowship. Look, look, what does it say? Are you 50, 60, 70, 80, 90? You have no excuse. Grandmas, grandpas, great-grandmas, great-grandpas, you should be demonstrating to your grandkids and your great-grandkids by your example. You know, share the gospel when necessary, use words, right? But, you know, the, the, we're, our ministry is not over. 
You know, how many people from our church we know they're in hospice? I just talked to someone this morning, witnessing to the nurses that are coming to take care of them. You know, Billy Graham in his one book, Going Home, he said, you know, he said, I'm ready to be saved. I preached the gospel my whole life. He said, he said, but nobody ever got me ready to be old. And he just talked about being in the hospital, feeling his and then going room to room and witnessing to people in the hospital. We're without excuse. You don't go out to pasture as a Christian. You finish in the ring. You may not have the stamina. You may not be able to club like you used to, but there's another round, okay? And it may be wearying, but the Lord is not done with you, and he can say things through older people. He can't say through anything else. You know, just there, there are things to be said from different ages and different seasons in life. And he says to John, I ain't done with you. My word, John, I understand, is, can be sweet to your taste and bitter to your frame. I understand all of your brothers in the faith, your other apostles, have been martyred. I understand you're the last one. You're trying to tell a generation about what it was like to walk with me. John, I understand there are things I want you to say and things I want you to seal up. John, understand, I am not done with you. If you're still breathing, I ain't done with you. Everybody got that here? One person, great. Let me try that again. Everybody got that here? You know, he's, he's not done with you. Whatever your age, there's no retiring from Jesus Christ. There's no excuse. He will use you. He wants to live through you. He wants to touch, you know, it says in the Psalms, I want to live, Lord, long enough to proclaim your goodness to the next generation. And John, aren't we glad this 90-year-old was on, a, on the Isle of Patmos? And he wrote this down, and through that he's spoken to nations and to kings and to generations. We're so thankful we have this this morning, even though we don't know what the seventh thunder said. We know what we're supposed to know, right? No excuse. Mighty angel. What's going on around us right now? The world we're living in doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to face it, doesn't want to hear about it. They're going to get the instead of Christ because they don't want to hear about the real Christ. But imagine what mighty angels are. Imagine what's going on around us. This book is, is unveiling those things as it unveils Jesus Christ. Realize there are things that God has decided we don't need to know now. They wouldn't be beneficial. Realize that the word of God is as powerful now as it was then. And, and there's a bittersweetness to it. If we were in the kingdom, there would only be a sweetness to it. But because we're on earth, there's a bitter, it's bittersweet. And realize that no matter how mature we are, not old, mature, but to be politically correct, you know, if you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years mature, the idea is he still has something for you to do. If you're still sucking air, he's not done with you. Sounds like a bumper sticker, doesn't it? If you're still sucking air, he ain't done. Good sweatshirt. You know, so uh, the, the exhortation to us, we need to be serving. We all on that same page. Uh, okay, you're excited about that. I understand. All right, let's stand. Let's pray together. I encourage you, if the Lord tarries this week, read ahead chapter 11. Some very interesting things. Part of the parentheses that we're in. And it gives us a glimpse of some of the things that are going on during these trumpets.
Father, we thank you for these things and we look to you. Thank you we can laugh together, Lord, that we can fellowship, that we can, Lord, in, in the deepest part of our being, we can feel some of these things, Lord. Thank you that in our hearts and minds we can agree with these things. Thank you, Lord, that the book of Revelation, Lord, is speaking to us, that there's a blessing as we read and hear and keep these things. Lord, we think of the unsaved world around us that would think we're crazy for going to church and reading the book of Revelation. We are crazy, Lord. We're crazy about you, Lord Jesus. And we are looking forward to seeing you, Lord. It is bitter for us, Lord, to think of friends or classmates or co-laborers or relatives, anybody around us who's lost that's going to face these days, Lord. It's unthinkable and it's, it's difficult. But on the other side of this, Lord, your word is sweet to us. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharp, Lord. It, it's so gracious as it divides down into our very being, Lord. It's given us life, Lord. It's renewing like the rain and the snow that falls from heaven, Lord. It sanctifies us. It's sweet to us as well. And we are thankful for that, Lord. We look to you, Lord, and lift these things before you. We pray in your name. And, and I'm just asked this morning as well, look, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, forget about Calvary Chapel. We're not talking about a church or an organization or a denomination. We're talking about a person who rose from the dead. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. Muhammad's still in his tomb. Zoroaster's in his tomb. Confucius is in his tomb. No matter what anybody says, Elvis is in his grave. There is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. I've been there many times. If there was no empty tomb in Jerusalem, we wouldn't take tours of Israel. What's the sense of going somewhere where there was a martyr? There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. He's risen. Do you know him? You can know the one who came out of the tomb. And you can be in a personal relationship with him. He's not interested in religion. He's interested in relationship. And all he asks of you is that you come and avail yourself of the salvation he earned for you on the cross. You don't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. You're not worthy of it. There's no reason it should ever be yours except for what he did. He died in your place. He took, and he didn't deserve it. He took the bullet for you. He didn't deserve it. And because of that, it purchased a value. If he deserved it, it wouldn't have purchased anything. He went there not deserving it, so his death then purchased Something, And because you had a debt you couldn't pay, he paid a debt he didn't know. And if you don't know Jesus this morning as we sing this last song, or perhaps when we're up here afterwards, we encourage you to come forward. We want to pray with you. We'd love to give you a Bible, some literature for free. We don't want your email or your home phone. We're not going to have we want anything from you. We want eternity for you, his forgiveness and his love for you. We've received it and didn't deserve it. So we're going to sing this last song together. If you know today's the day, I need to get saved. I've been listening. I'm freaked out. This book of Revelation is freaking me out. Then you come up here and you meet the one who was dictating it to John and let him tell you about his love and his forgiveness. We'll be waiting, but let's bow our hearts. Lord, I know you've overheard that. We prayed already. We just commit that to you, Lord. The heart's of men and women that may be here that have never come to you, Lord. They've had religion. They're still empty. They've gone to church. They're still empty. They profess things, and yet they know in their heart they're still empty. And, Lord Jesus, they've never come to you. 
Lord, you said any man who comes, you'll in no wise cast out. Let them come to you this day, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.